much for doing this. It's a big favor for me and uh, also something that I think that will be very beneficial, hopefully, for a lot of concerned salon owners and stylists. So right quick, uh, tell me what you can about your qualifications. <laughs> okay. I am an epidemiologist with a public health organization. I've worked in outbreak responses uh, at uh, various levels within our health system. And so this is something that we've somewhat seen before, but uh, perhaps on a different scale. So my background is in particular around infectious disease surveillance and um, such as this type of disease. So I'll, I'll pause there. My, <laughs> yeah, that should be enough. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, don't want to give away the big secret. No. Um, so I don't, I don't want so you would Just say because I, I'm not allowed to speak on behalf. You know, they just try to keep messaging consistent. And I, obviously, we've been trained and, and, and know what to put forth. But um, they're just trying to keep things very consistent and, um, you know, keep, keep the messaging down certain lanes. And so we're, we're trying to be consistent with that. Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. There's already, I would say, way too many messages being displayed across social media, and it's already a little confusing yes. for some. Right. Yes. So you had mentioned that this is actually kind of right up your alley, right? Right. Yes, I've been involved in uh, other outbreak responses from foodborne illnesses to more serious infectious diseases, um, not previously been involved in an outbreak of this type of illness, you know, a severe acute respiratory illness. But um, some of them, the outbreak responses are similar in, in how you deal with it and the information. But everything we try to do is based on data, trying to obtain the data that we need in a timely manner, in a complete manner, in order to determine the best response possible. Yeah. How would you say um, the response and the communication of the data uh, for this has been thus far? Well, we do have the benefit here in the U.S. of having seen this evolve, starting, you know, first of all, of course, in China, and then what we've seen happen more recently in Italy. So we have the advantage of being given this time benefit. So we're you know, further back in time than they have been, we've kind of been able to watch and hopefully learn from them. But they've had to deal with it right in front of the public eye and make decisions on the fly. And, and this is happening to us as well. Uh, so any things that have been said or done or decisions that have been made in the past have, have hopefully been based on data, but unfortunately just the data that, that has been available at the time. Things are constantly changing. New data are becoming available. And so the decisions and communications are, are changing. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like uh, it's almost like every day we're getting some kind of new knowledge or update about what the virus can do. Right. And just if everyone keeps in mind, too, that this is a novel virus. I mean, we've seen other coronavirus outbreaks. We've seen other, you know, we have flu every year. So it's similar in some respects, but it's something new that we haven't seen before. And so 
we can make assumptions about some things, but we really can't because this is what they call a novel virus. So we are finding some things are holding true that we've seen previously, and we're finding in some ways it's not acting like we've seen previously. So we have to change uh, how we're reacting to it. Mm. Yeah. Um, would you say that, you know, one of my, my questions for you was, um, you know, would you say that the media is covering it uh, not enough, too much, or just right in a Goldilocks zone? <laughs> That's difficult to say because the media can tend to latch onto something and blow it all out of proportion and, and not really go for what's the most consistent data or you know they're not necessarily looking at the data sometimes they're just trying to sell ads and you know try to to drum up business um, so I, I wouldn't say that they always have the right intentions but um, as long as they're basing their sources on institutions that we recognize that are science-based and are not just looking at you know something that's coming up um, you know if they're sticking to valid scientific sources such as WHO the World health organization which is kind of heading up the response overall um, and then here in the u.s you know we have our, our health and human services uh, department so within that we've got cdc we've got the national institutes of health it also includes other organizations and then within that you've probably seen anthony fossey a lot on the news he's uh the one that's heading up the national institute of allergy and infectious diseases so that's another institute that we have here in the United States, and they're specifically focused on these type of diseases. And so as long as the, wherever you're getting your sources are basing it on these type of valid scientific sources, then, you know, you can pretty much feel confident in believing what they're saying. And again, just understanding they're going on the data they have, which is constantly changing. So the decisions that they may have made a couple weeks ago, we may look back and think that, you know, oh, that was the right decision or, or things have changed and we aren't going to do that the same way. So it's just constantly evolving. But as long as, you know, the media that you're consulting is, is something that's a valid source and not just something that somebody posted on Facebook, then, um, you know, I've, as we've all kind of learned, you don't, you can't believe everything you see on the internet. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of very interesting theories that I've seen. Uh, and actually, one of my friends, she really wants to sit down and do a separate podcast on her theories about where it came from, which should be quite interesting. <laughs> I'm going to need some alcohol for that, and I'm not talking about rubbing alcohol. Um, but yeah, so uh, what do you know about where it came from? Well, again, so this is a novel virus. So we're learning things all the time and it originated in, an, in another country that's not our country. So we're getting data from that other country uh, who have shared things with us. We don't know if they've shared all the information with us. We don't know, you know, what we don't know, but what we have heard is that, and, and this, this goes along with this type of virus. We do know that it's a coronavirus and this is similar to other things that we've known before. So we do know that it's most likely coming from an animal host. Some of these types of viruses will, will live in an animal and then come out when humans interact with these type of animals. So for example, you know, people have been putting forth 
the theory that this is this came out of bat somebody ate a bat and this is where it started right. it could very well be that we do know that the first cases were detected in Wuhan city in China and it was linked to people that had visited a, a live animal and seafood market I mean now the virus is spreading person to person um, but we think it originated from there we don't know if it went directly from you know someone touching a bat uh, if it was through feces from a bat if it was through another animal maybe a you know it was maybe the bats the host but maybe there's an intermediate type of source uh, where the person originally came in contact with it but we we are pretty confident that we think that it is coming crossing over from animals and this is where we're seeing all new viruses or new illnesses coming out of is what we call zoonotic diseases and this is when diseases are able to cross over from animals and then also be infectious to humans so any of the new viruses that we're seeing coming out most of them are coming across to humans in this way from animals right okay well um i won't go over too much um some of the stuff that's already been covered ad nauseum um how to wash your hands you know how to keep your distance um, but I will say some of these do come up as a concern, of course, for people in our industry, uh, the salon industry, and other, I guess, service industries. Um, you know, we are breaking that social distance barrier, and we are coming into constant physical contact. Um, so, you know, what, what are your thoughts on... Um, on, on our business, you know, our industry, um, we haven't been closed or required to close salons yet, but I know that in places like Italy, uh, they did close down uh, businesses such as ours, uh, restaurants, bars, and anywhere people are coming into close contact, like salons and barbershops. Do you think that we might get there or is it is there kind of like a, a tipping point before we get there or do you think it's safe to operate well based on and the way we've seen it spread in other countries we're recognizing that this in comparison to other illnesses that we've seen this is something that we don't know everything about but we have been seeing transmission person to person. Like I said, it's, it's already crossed over from animals. Now it's person to person transmission. And that it is happening most likely through what we call droplet spread. So what you were saying, uh, it's being transmitted when somebody sneezes or coughs. And so that's generally within about a two meter or six foot radius. You know that and also this uh, somebody sneezes or coughs it can be can be carried a little distance by the wind or it can kind of say suspended in the air you know again we don't know all the numbers about how long we don't know if it's if it goes onto a surface of something or if it's on a tissue how long is this virus viable outside of a host we don't know all those answers yet so we have to be a little bit more um, careful about what we're doing so in a industry such as yours where you know you are in close contact you're obviously within six feet of a person if you're you know cutting their hair um there's always that op you know opportunity that something could be spread through a sneeze or a cough or in some way be exchanged because this is an airborne illness it's not something that you know is is only transmitted through blood or, or something like that what we've seen with other illnesses so and the problem also is that it's being transmitted 
we think before people even have symptoms you know there are other illnesses that people can't really give it to someone else unless they start showing symptoms that means the viral load is high enough that they are infectious to other people but what they're what they're seeing from this particular illness is that people are able, able to infect other people without even realizing that they have it so that's another way like we don't even have that warning that someone's sick and they need to isolate themselves or stay away from other people we don't have that kind of warning people feel fine they're going about their regular business and actually they're transmitting the virus to other people without even realizing it right so i mean there's uh there might come a time when things become a little more restrictive just because we to stop this virus we need to stop transmission from person to person we don't have a vaccine it's it's new it's going to need to be another year year and a half before we probably have a vaccine we don't even know how effective that would be we don't have a cure if somebody gets it it's mostly supportive care or they treat secondary infections that come out of it um, so the, the best way they can do is to try to stop person-to-person transmission and when something is, is like this and it's being carried from person to person before they even know they have sick and it's airborne such as this like i said it's not just transmitted you know through blood or semen or, or other things that are more intimate it can go to many strangers um they, they probably will become, become more restrictive because that's the only way that we have to stop it. So you're saying it's so not an STD. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that they've done those studies yet, if it can be transmitted that way, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, again, this can always come later. We, we never realized, you know, all the ways that Ebola could be transmitted until, you know, later on in the, those, those outbreaks. Right. So, um, yeah. Well, um, so you're saying, uh, I have heard, you know, the, the coughing and the sneezing. What if someone's just like a really obnoxious, close talker and they're just right up in your face, but they're not spraying when they're saying, uh, are they still a threat? <laughs> it, it could be. I mean, if you're talking, you, you know, you're ex- expelling some vapor in the air right when you're speaking because your mouth is moist and and so there's going to be some water droplets when you're speaking that's coming out of your respiratory system right there's there's naturally it's generally moist air that's coming out of us when we're talking so there could be some unintentional droplets in the air when you're talking and it's coming out of your mouth that could be just so it doesn't have to necessarily be a a sneeze you know where we've got big enough droplets you can kind of see or a cough where you, you can kind of there's you can see the moisture like in a uh, a tissue or something right so it's it's quite possible certainly okay okay uh no close talkers um <laughs> you had a look uh at my email that i'm sending out to clients what are your thoughts on it uh is it is it dumb uh or do, would i take anything or add anything to make it better Well, one thing that stuck out to me, first of all, is um, that you said that you would be wearing a mask. Now, there's, you know, there's recommendations for masks and people don't necessarily need to wear masks. For example, people, I've seen people wear these surgical masks where there's there's gaps along the side and, um, you know, viruses are very small particles. They can pass between cloth of certain you know that has gaps and stuff 
so there's certain masks that are effective and certain ones that aren't, but especially when you've got gaps on the side. So when they have, they, there are masks that are effective against this, but they, they have to be fitted properly. So if you have to have the proper size, so it's completely sealed around your, your nose and your mouth. So they're really recommending face masks for people, either if you are sick and you're around other people, it, it can help prevent you passing on the illness to other people. For example, if you're, you know, if you are spraying when you're talking or if you sneeze or you cough, it would, it would contain it to you. But hopefully you're not going to be around people if you know that you are ill. Hmm. But it, it doesn't necessarily fill protect you like if you have an ill person come in and they're coughing or sneezing or just talking that you know may not affect you you'd have to have the right kind of mask it'd have to seal properly against your face so i I think in a sense it can be a false sense of security Hmm. and so the recommendations that you should you should wear a mask if you're a healthcare professional and working around people you know and, and treating patients for the most part, it's it's not really recommended for the normal person, and I don't know where you're going to find them at this point, anyways. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, the only reason I have any um, are because I usually, you know, when I go on my trips uh, abroad, um, I like to, to wear a mask if, you know, I'm uh, really, I actually like them for when I'm riding in a tuk-tuk or on a, a scooter because the air is so full of dirt and dust uh, I feel like it serves as a, a decent filter for that I'm not, I'm not actually too worried about germs um, but yeah yeah so I, I just have some from you know recent trips and uh, and my thought f- for wearing the mask um, would yeah would not be preventative for me but rather if i were to have it um i i do think it like you said it would be nice to at least show that i'm taking every precaution to not spread it to my client um but yeah i mean i i know it's kind of futile but i know that also if if there is just something one little thing i could do to make my client more comfortable and potentially keep from spreading, I would want to take whatever precaution I could. So and I might suggest some some other some other options because sure. just personally, if I if I walk into a salon <laughs> and the person that's going to be doing my hair is uh, has a mask on, I'm, I'm probably going to turn around and say, you know what, I'll reschedule because <laughs> you're obviously trying point. to not infect me with something. So I, yeah. I think I'd rather not take a chance, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's other things you could do too. If you know, if you, there are what we call infection control practices that can be put into place, and I think there's a lot of good information online about what you can do. Of course, washing your hands before and after each client, performing the routine environmental type of cleaning, which I'm sure you do anyways, but maybe being more vigilant. You know, in between clients, like sanitizing the workstations or the chairs and the tables and, and the different equipment or tools between clients so you know having the time to do that maybe that means rather than having people back to back maybe you have to schedule some gap time in there in order to give yourself time to clean the areas Um, you can provide hand sanitizer in the work areas for the employees um, and for also the clients if that you know knowing that they're touching areas where other people have touched I mean of course washing with warm water and soap for 20 seconds or more 
um, with vigorous washing is the best thing that's better than hand sanitizer but obviously hand sanitizer is more convenient you can also uh, emphasize with other employees that they should stay home if they're sick uh, making sure that they practice good respiratory etiquette such as you know if you have to sneeze or cough do it into a tissue that can be thrown away right away or do it into your elbow or shoulder or something that's so it's not spraying out right. and then of course washing your hands after that as well uh, if there's you have high, higher risk clients maybe they should consider rescheduling because i mean as much as we all like to look good and have good hair it's really not a medical necessity you know like we can we can live i can go with my hair a little bit longer and in my eyes and then i'd want to or um right. but you know so so maybe for for higher risk clients they really should consider rescheduling you know and right now they're saying anyone over 60 should be a little more vigilant um, this should also anyone who has underlying conditions. You know, we've we've heard about that. It could be anything from diabetes or or heart conditions to those, of course, who have immunocompromised um, conditions as well. You can also put up signs on the front door and you know asking. I mean, we have that where I work. If if someone there's signs that say you know if you have these certain symptoms, if you have a fever, if you have shortness of breath, or if you have a cough, then you know they ask that you don't come in. Um, so that could be something you could put up signs on the front door asking them to reschedule if they're experiencing any of the symptoms or perhaps if they've come in close contact with anyone that who who is positive or is suspected of having um, you know COVID-19 or if they've recently been in areas where there are where there is high transmission then maybe they should consider rescheduling so you know if, if kind of preventing from people who are potentially ill from coming in and infecting the other people that are there or you know leaving it behind after they leave yeah this all seems like pretty good and common sense knowledge right like nothing too crazy right right you're right and then there's you can get the specifics about if you really want to be vigilant about the sanitizing things you can i mean there's there are cleaners and disinfectants that are out there and they'll often say you know this is good for sars or whatever which is you know or it's good for influenza and those types of things should be fine you can also use like a dilute alcohol solution or even if you want to be very stringent you could use a very dilute bleach solution but um you know that they can give there are guidelines for that type of thing so that you can use those to help disinfect especially if you can't find the common disinfectants that we're used to seeing in the stores i mean i've been to the store a couple times in the past couple days and there's not much of anything left yeah well speaking of uh i couldn't find any rubbing alcohol but i could find everclear which is 95 <laughs> percent alcohol and that's stronger than most rubbing alcohols so would you say everclear could be substituted as a, a disinfectant you mean like to drink it and then kill any virus that you have in you? Exactly. No. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, no, that is not recommended. Uh, uh, as a, I mean, it's it's a form of ethanol, right? Yeah. It's it's a, a, a green. so when you get rubbing alcohol, yeah. I mean, like it's it's a form of alcohol. They just are asking that if you're going to put a you know use an alcohol solution as the disinfectant, it should probably be about at least 70% alcohol, which is typically like if you go to the store and if they had rubbing alcohol, that's usually like a 70% solution of ethanol, ethyl alcohols, and I still have isopropanol, which is another, just another form of alcohol. 
So I guess that that's all you have. You, you know, I mean, it's better than nothing, right? If you if you have nothing else, then uh, yeah, you can get a little bit creative. Yeah, um, yeah. Sadly, they're all out uh, at the stores, but I actually snagged two bottles of Everclear. And the cool thing is, is and you can party. <laughs> um, so do you know anything about hydrogen peroxide i've heard mixed things some people say it is a disinfectant uh, but then some people say it might not be strong enough yeah no that's a good question because that is sold typically in the same place that you see alcohol or other type of disinfectant things for like first aid yeah. i haven't seen that recommended as a potential disinfectant so i would say it's probably not the first choice if that's all you have hmm. again it's it's probably better than nothing but um you know I, I wouldn't say that that's your first first option i mean i think most people can find bleach and bleach pretty much kills just about everything i mean back when i used to do biomedical research and worked in labs with um, infectious pathogens we would make dilute bleach solutions to help clean things. We also had dilute alcohol solutions for some things, but there were some pathogens that uh, that wouldn't kill. So we had to use a dilute bleach solution, which is what incidentally what they use for, for killing Ebola as well and disinfecting. So yeah. I would say that's probably, that would be my go-to if I didn't have alcohol. I think I would prefer to make a dilute bleach solution and use that. Now I'm assuming dilute bleach is not safe for hands um, or I guess porous surfaces and tools. I mean, unless it's like a hard, hard surface, I, I don't know. Uh, you can, um, well, for example, they were using a dilute bleach solution to clean hands in, in certain countries that were experiencing Ebola outbreaks. Really? And they would spray it, yeah, they would, use, they would have a dilute bleach solution and you would have to wash your hands with that before you walk into any restaurant or any public area so it, it can be done and it can be used to disinfect it's it's quite dilute though it's it's i think it's 0.05 percent but what they recommend uh and i've seen it in a couple different uh, sites again i would reference you know the cdc sites or the department of public health here in georgia um, I'm sure WHO as well has some, but it's basically what I've seen. The dilution factor is about five tablespoons or a third of a cup of bleach per gallon of water, or basically four teaspoons of bleach per quart of water. So it is pretty dilute. It's not that strong, but it's, it's enough to, to disinfect. That's good to know. Another thing along those lines I might throw in there because I, I just thought about something in um, salons you use towels a lot right yes. and they go against people's skin and you use it to clean things up yes so again we don't know all the specifics about it but it is quite possible that the virus can live outside the host for an extended period of time so it is recommended to to wash any types of things that you think may be you know infected or, or again if you're just being very vigilant and washing in between each client um, this could be something that, you know, the laundry is certainly something you want to address. And, and so it's recommended that you, you don't shake it around because if there's virus on it, you know, maybe in water droplets, it could push it back out into the air, which you don't want that. But it can be washed just on the warmest setting that you can do and, you know, with normal laundry detergent. And the, the recommendations is that should be sufficient. 
normal laundry detergent would eradicate it? Right. I mean, obviously, if you have white towels and can use bleach, that's even better. Right. But um, they're just recommending, yeah, just normal laundry procedures, but just trying to do it on the warmest water setting possible and then making sure you're drying the items completely. Cool. How about uh, Karen with her essential oils? What do you know about that? <laughs> I, I don't know that um, I would rely on that again if that's all you have possibly but um you know i would prefer the the, the methods that we know tend to work the alcohol the dilute bleach soap and water i mean you know if you have just regular old soap and water that that seems to be fine good to know what would you say to stylists that are choosing to work during this well, I mean, I completely understand. I, you know, there's many industries that are being affected by this, and certainly ones, you know, people that have businesses where they rely on on being around people, and it's service businesses. So I certainly understand them not wanting to not work. Um, so I mean, I mean, I I can't say do it or not do it. I mean, it may come down that there may be recommendations from our our government that says you know we're shutting this down for for a period of time and again you know hair haircuts and and those types of things are maybe considered extras and luxury things that are not medically essential but um i understand people have to you know make a livelihood that that's their livelihood and they have to make a living so if if you can't not do it and you have clients who are willing to do it i, I think i would just again do some kind of screening of people that are coming in or, or not necessarily screening but like i say maybe put up signage ask people questions you know if you're feeling ill we ask you please reschedule you know there's preventive type behaviors you can put into place and then making sure you know that they're disinfecting in between people washing hands frequently you know until recommendations are otherwise okay. you know I, I understand people have to work and so um, I think just instituting some of these enhanced you know disinfectant procedures and, and kind of making sure that people aren't coming in who are sick and if you're sick stay home even if you know you haven't been tested and, and you aren't positive you, you never know because again you could be feeling fine but you could actually be infected and passing along to other people hmm. so and my next question is, would you get a haircut if you needed a haircut during this time? Well, again, I don't need a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I may want a haircut. Maybe, you know, my highlights are going a little, growing out a little bit and I'd like to touch it up. But, you know, there, there's times, again, it's, it's not an essential thing. I would probably wait to be honest again i you know unless i had some compelling reason i'm i'm certainly not a high risk person that i know of i mean i'm, I'm not a high risk I'm, I'm not 60 and above i don't have other underlying conditions i'm not even around people that would be that have some of those issues you know my parents aren't here they don't live around here so you could say like you know for me maybe it would be fine but honestly i i think it's in the best interest of everyone just to kind of isolate a little bit like we're being asked to do before it really becomes mandatory and it comes down to it that, that things are much more strict you know right right now it's kind of a, a soft rollout of these type of 
people are it's being put on people you know to try not to go to, to mass gatherings and don't be around people that are sick or if you're sick or possibly exposed don't go around people who are more vulnerable so i would say i probably would put it off and and try to reschedule for maybe when things calm down a little bit and there aren't so many cases circling circulating you know when the number of new cases is going down when it seems like things have have been contained i, I think i would put it off okay well that's very good to know um from a uh, an anthropological perspective i find all of this very interesting and i feel like it might be one of the the greatest social experiments during my lifetime that i've ever seen um what would you say to that uh, i would imagine we're going to get some very interesting studies that are going to result from this what do you what do you think we're going to learn from from how we uh as the as humans as a species have have um reacted to this well, I think that's a good question. We can can suppose, you know, I think we're learning things all the time about how to, um, you know, think about things outside of yourself. So, if did we overreact? Overreact? Did we react enough? Did we maybe do some things we shouldn't do? You know, we had things coming out of China, and people, I think, were initially somewhat uh, resistant against people from China or assumed that they were carrying the disease. There's been thoughts thrown about, you know, political issues and they're doing this on purpose and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I think it will be interesting in that sense to look back. I mean, we, we've had other pandemics that we've been able to learn a lot from, you know, the, the, the flu epidemic back during World War One and, and how that turned out. And we've learned a lot from that. Um, things more recently. But um, yeah, I think there's gonna be all kinds of studies coming out of this medical, psychosocial, behavioral. I think that there's gonna be a lot of interesting things coming out of that. I would just you know, encourage people to make sure they're, they're reading valid studies and from scientific sources and, and not looking at one study and making assumptions about that. You know, if you're, if you're going to choose to do that, look beyond what somebody posts on Facebook and try to validate the sources that are listed and making sure it is scientific sources and it's not just one study that says something that, you know, if you're going to do the research, look at all the different studies that are going on. But I, I think there are going to be interesting things that we're learning from this. Yeah. When you compare it to past outbreaks or pandemics, you know, you, you look at it or you see some of the people and their their symptoms and and how it affects and, and then you see the death rate, which some are saying is below 3%, which doesn't seem all that bad, I guess, in, in uh, relativity compared to the bubonic plague or something like that. But, you know, obviously still a concern for many, many people many people possibly millions right so um how would you say it compares to other outbreaks um and and why do you think we're reacting the way we are now so so like compared to h1n1 um why are, why didn't we react like this for h1n1 and why are we, you know, why are we reacting 
the way we are to this. Right. I, I think there's different factors that people don't always take into consideration when we're thinking how serious a particular outbreak is. So it's not just the number of people that die from it. Right. You know, it's not just the case fatality rate. It's not just the number of people that get sick from it. There's all kinds of, there's economic repercussions, which we're seeing now. Businesses are closing. The economy is being affected. People are out of work. Um, schools are closing. There's all these peripheral effects of, of what's happening. So it's like you, you look at this all together and think about how severe this is. So they may say, you know, that this disease isn't as contagious as something like measles. People forget about measles. There's measles outbreaks all over the world every year that hasn't been eradicated yet. You know, we eradicated smallpox, but this is measles happens all the time. People never talk about it. And we have a, a vaccine that is extremely effective against measles. You would think that we shouldn't have any more measles cases, um, but that's that's a type of disease that's extremely contagious. Right. You know, they you've probably heard people talk about the R naught number and what that means is the infectivity of a particular pathogen. So basically, it's trying to predict how many people can be infected by another person, which can vary. I mean, this particular virus, um, they're saying it's approximately two to three people in, on average that can be infected by this particular virus, whereas like seasonal flu is maybe one, one or one and a half people, you know, on average that can be infected, but um, something like a measles can can affect people you know maybe one person can on average infect 15 other people it's extremely contagious um right. some people look at like the mortality rate they're you know for example in the ebola outbreak that's just hopefully winding up over in africa in drc there the case fatality rates and the number of people that are getting it that are actually dying was about 60 percent um whereas you look at this and you think oh well as you were saying the the fatality rate here is about two to three percent and in actuality it's actually probably much lower but we don't know what that that bottom line is what we call a denominator we don't know how many people have actually been infected you know we're only estimating based on those who have been tested and then the, those that die so actually that number is is a much smaller but it, it's actually affecting a lot of people because people are, are staying out of work for it you know people the ones that are dying are, are the older people or the people that have other conditions so people are dying from it the, the more vulnerable populations but it's just one of those diseases that's scary that even though you think oh well, not a lot of people are dying about it, dying from it but a lot of people are going to be infected with it and you know and, and what's scary about it is that it can be transmitted prior to anyone showing any symptoms so that's it's when something difficult to control like that it kind of makes it scary even if the death rates aren't that high because if you have a lot of people getting sick they're going to go to the doctor or the hospitals and then all of a sudden your healthcare system is overwhelmed they can't handle it and they can't maybe handle the cancer patients that are there they can't handle somebody who's having a seizure you know because they've got all the beds are filled with people that have this COVID-19 virus so it, 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 there's like other repercussions that people don't think about that goes beyond just the number of people that are dying or the number of people that are sick with it right you know why why this one why are we freaking out so much about this one when there are other things like you said like measles or swine flu or things that that seemed more dangerous and eventually you know well i guess this isn't over yet but uh, they did kill a lot of people, you know, 
uh, why why are we reacting this way now with this one? Do you happen to know that? <laughs> no, that's a good question because you think about back uh, several years ago when the Ebola outbreak was happening in West Africa and it was it was pretty much over there until all of a sudden we got some cases here in the U.S. I mean, it wasn't very, there weren't very many people that had gotten it, obviously, and it, and it really wasn't that many cases that were person-to-person transmission here in the U.S., but people freaked out about it. And it's because it was a scary illness. I mean, this one's not so scary. Many people get it and don't even know they have it or they have very mild symptoms. But it's because of that, too, is why it's scary. It's because people that can die from it can be infected with it and we don't even realize it. You know, so maybe you or I are fine because we're healthy, we're under 60, we're, you know, we're not in the high-risk populations, but the ones that are are the ones that are going to, to hurt the most from it. So, I mean, we do have the advantage too, like, it's, like I said previously, that we're learning from what the other countries are doing. You know, we're, we saw what happened to China and how they had to isolate this whole area and the country was, you know, almost on shutdown and Italy is, is pretty much shut down right now and they're isolated. It's, it's because of all these things we've been talking about. So many people are getting sick and then the most vulnerable ones are getting sick and dying, having severe illnesses. It's overloading the health system. And then so, you know, and they can't stop it because they, they don't know somebody's sick. So they're having to isolate. So it's, it's kind of like a snowball effect and it's things that we can't control because there's no vaccine. I mean, measles is scary and it, in the sense that a lot of people can get sick from it pretty fast from just one person, but we have a really good vaccine for that. So we have a way to do that. And some of the other illnesses, you know, someone like seasonal flu, not many people die from that, but, and we have some, some treatments for that, you know, that can, can help limit the severity of that. Um, and we do have a vaccine. It's not the best vaccine in the world, but we do have something that can help people have either not get it or have, you know, a lesser, less severe case of it. So that one doesn't seem as scary. I think this one is just because it's new and we see how it's just spread so quickly across mm. the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the contagion rate it seems really high with it, right? Right. I mean, in the sense that it's just spreading really fast just because, again, we don't know if somebody's sick. And, yeah. you know, I mean, even though they're saying the the basic reproduction number that our number are not number that I was referencing the number of people that can be infected is maybe what they're seeing is about two to three. Um, but it kind of depends on to the situation, you know, where are they getting the numbers from who during what point in the outbreak are they getting these numbers that can vary a lot as well, but we're not seeing anything like a, like a measles number where it's quite that effect, um, you know, infectious, but. Okay. If, um, if you were a hairstylist and you were living, we'll say paycheck to paycheck, would you take the risk and work or would you try and hold out for the unknown amount of time of this recommended quarantine? I, th I think I would just keep tabs on the recommendations that are being put out by our our respected public health organizations you know right now they're not recommending that they're recommending that we don't go to big gatherings you know they're recommending we stay away from big crowds of people 
yeah. I would take to heart what they're saying. I mean, right now, I, I haven't heard that they're recommending that the businesses like that close down. Yeah. I would also implement some of those practices that I mentioned, you know, just kind of checking with people that are making appointments and just asking them these questions and, uh, you know, to implement some of those enhanced disinfectant and cleaning procedures and, and that sort of thing again. And I just keep tabs on what the recommendations are coming out from our public health experts. And if they start, you know, if they say, okay, now's the time everybody really needs to sequester yourself and be away from other people. And these type of businesses like hair salons and other non-essential type businesses need to close down for a while. Then I would, you know, I would adhere to that. Okay. And is there any message or any clarification that you would like to acknowledge or, or make that you feel people need to know about? Maybe stop buying toilet paper or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this isn't a GI illness. I, I never really understood the need for having so much toilet paper on hand. But I mean, this, the stores are restocking. It's not like our you know, shipping has been shut shut down. It's not like our factories are not working. I mean, right. I think the U.S. is going to keep trudging along, even if we have a lot of cases. I think that's, you know, we're going to be okay. Maybe we don't have as many choices as we have had recently, but it'll it'll come back. Um, hmm. and, I, and I would say to people, don't please don't believe what you're. You know, somebody posts something on Facebook that you can gargle with salt water or vinegar and it's going to kill the virus because it lives in your throat. You know, there's <laughs> there's no studies on that. Let's, you know, this is new. There's We're learning as we go along and later on, you know, six months, a year, two years, whatever, five years down the road, we're going to learn a lot more about this. And But, you know, as of right now, that's, that's not true. We don't know if warm weather is going to make it stop. People are putting that forth that, oh, once summer hits, it's going to be like the cold or the flu. It's going to go away. We won't have to worry about it anymore. We don't know. This is new. Really? You know, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's true that cold and flu are most prominent during the winter months, but there's other factors that, have, you know, people are in close quarters together. They're usually in enclosed spaces, um, you know, and so that's how that things get transmitted. But we don't know right now if, if that's going to be the case with COVID-19 is, you know, the weather warms up and people aren't going to be as sick as more as much. We don't know, but, um, I mean, you think about where it's being transmitted now, it's not necessarily just sticking to, to cold areas, right? It's, it's in Africa, it's in India, it's, it's in other places where it's warm. So I don't see an association with that, you know? Hmm. Well, cool. Well, thank you again very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And just just remind everybody that, um, you know, even though if it's not you that gets sick, maybe it's about protecting others who are most vulnerable to get sick and just recognize that, you know, everybody in public health, they're making the best decisions possible that they can with the information that they have at the time. And, and it's constantly changing. So yes, the messages are going to change because that's we're getting more data and the decisions that are being made are made on the data that we have at that time. And it's constantly evolving and changing. So just understand that everyone is doing their best to try to mitigate this and, and hope that it passes. <laughs> right. Well, I will say one last thing on, on the data thing. Um, we don't actually know right now how many cases there are right because of uh there has been a limit of of testing or an issue of testing i guess well i i think 
people don't understand that the way the testing works this again it's a new virus we it's not like we have this test sitting around waiting for this to be to happen so they had to develop the test which means they had to sequence the virus back when they got the information from other countries on it they had to develop the test you know it, it takes time to develop it and then test it and so it's not something that we had just sitting on a shelf that we could just pull out Cool. And then also it takes time to, to manufacture it. And, you know, and, and we haven't had time to do testing to see how how reliable it is. You know, I mean, are we, how how many numbers of false negatives are we getting? Are there false positives? It's, you know, the, so I think people maybe testing is important. Obviously, we want to know if someone is confirmed to have the illness, but to, to generate all these tests, it does take time. And so that's why they've been limiting who gets the test i mean they can't just go test everybody we don't have this kind of test available or at least at that time we didn't and so now it's, it's being manufactured they're more available but um you know previously they've had to limit to who could be tested for people that are most likely to have the virus or the most vulnerable so um right would you say yeah. um, a lot of people think that there might be much much higher numbers than have been released um, oh, definitely. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it. If you're not feeling sick, you don't you don't have a fever, you're not coughing, you feel perfectly fine. Why would you go get a test? Right. You know? And so since about 80% of the cases have minimal or no symptoms, think about how many people out there, like, wouldn't even know that they had it, you know? Yeah. They, w- they wouldn't even know. So why would they go get tested? Yeah. That's scary. That's the scary yeah. part. Yeah. <laughs> right. You could have it right now. We don't know that. I could. You have a little bit of <laughs> Even the- uh, runny nose. Uh-oh. Uh-oh.